message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. How's everyone day? Good, good, good. Hope you guys are having a good beginning of the week. So far, you're in church, so that's, that's good, right? Amen, amen. Um, just to remind, as Sherry mentioned, we have a meeting after. after um, so you're going to go get your kids after, after, after church and come back inside. And then we'll have a quick, short meeting, all right? Um, Daryl has been speaking on, Pastor Daryl has been speaking on the, the cross and the crucifixion the last few weeks. And I want to um, continue that trend. Um, this is a message I've spoken here before. It's, uh, it's some years ago, long, long time ago. So I want to, um, I wanted to um, share it again, since it has, it, ha- it has to do with the, the cross and what, sh- and what Christ has accomplished for us. I want us to turn our Bibles to the book of Saint John, Saint John chapter three, and we'll read from verse sixteen to verse twenty-one. St. John chapter 3, we'll read from verse 16 to verse 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. The light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever, lives by, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Father, again, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. You're a good God. You're a loving God. You're a gracious God. Open our hearts, our minds, our hearts, and let, us, and let us, Lord, see you as you are. What you have done and accomplished on our behalf. Speak to each one of us. And may your word go forth with all authority and all power. And in the end, Lord Jesus, you will receive all the glory <coughs> and, all <coughs> and all the praise and all the adoration. We thank you. We love you. In Christ's name. Amen. Jesus, the greatest gift. That's the title for us this morning. Jesus, the greatest gift. Of all the verses that have been translated in different languages, I believe John 3.16 is the most translated verse. John 3.16 is a verse a translator translates in a particular language in order to bring to the, the gospel 
to a group of people. The message in John 3.16 is the heart and soul of why we're gathered here in this, in this manner. The message of John 3.16 is why we celebrate Easter each year. It is the crux, the core, the foundation, the institution of why we're here this morning in this fashion. Without the gift and sacrifice of Jesus, there would be no celebration of the Lord's Supper. Without the gift and sacrifice of Jesus, there would be no salvation, no gospel message. Without John 3.16, there would be no hope, no faith, no eternity. At a very young age, one of the Bible verses we are taught to memorize is John 3.16. Am I not correct? We at times recite this verse with great enthusiasm, excitement, not necessarily understanding its meaning. Our Sunday school teachers and parents made sure that this verse is part of our DNA. At a younger age, we taught our children, and I'll teach Q also, and ask them to know this verse word for word. But do we truly understand the message of John 3.16 and what it means? This verse shows us the compassion of God. This verse shows us the love of God for the, for the lost world. And this verse shows us the very heart of God the Father. This morning we will examine one aspect of John 3.16. And that is why Jesus is the greatest gift. We know that God loves us not because we have good wives, good husbands or great children. We know that God loves us not because we are perfect children and obey our parents. We know that God loves us not because of, of the material blessings we have or do not have. We know that God loves us not because of the great wisdom we might impart to, to others. We know that God loves us not because we follow the guidelines that are set before us by our employers. We know that God loves us not because we have a great education or because we are beautiful and handsome as I am. <laughs> you guys laughing, you don't believe it? <laughs> Not even because he sends his rain and sun and wind at just the right time. Believers, we know that God loves us because he gave his unique, his one and only son, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why he loves us. Listen. We could do nothing in our power to we, we could do nothing in our power to redeem ourselves from sin. It took God giving His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. It took God sending His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loved us so much He sent His Son to, 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 to leave the splendor and glory of heaven to be with sinners. Like us. God loves us so much, He sent His Son, who thought it not. Be, who thought it being equal to the Father, not something to be grasped, but gave up his glory, not his deity, to die for worthless sinners like us. Believers, the greatest gift of all is the gift of Jesus Christ. The greatest gift the unsaved man can have this morning is when he places his faith and trust in the person of our risen Lord and Savior. It is only through Jesus Christ we can know God's love and can love God in return. I am sure 
I am sure you have received some great gifts in your lifetime. You may have received diamonds and gold. You may have even treated yourself and buy yourself a nice car and built yourself a lovely house. You may have a lovely garden that grows some lovely produce. Or you may feel that your wife, your husband, your children are the greatest gift. Ladies, you may think that that gorgeous pair of shoes or that expensive pair of pants is the greatest gift that you have ever received. Men, you may, you may think that, that that nice handgun or that lovely grill that you have just bought is the greatest gift that you have ever received. You may think that your church family or some friends or, 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 some, or some relatives are the greatest gifts you, you have. Although, although all these gifts are wonderful gifts, the greatest gift, the best gift, is the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the greatest gift. Let me give you some reasons. Let me give you some reasons why Jesus is the best gift. One of the reasons why Jesus is the greatest of God's gift is that Jesus is the best God had to offer. Jesus is the best God, of God had to offer. There was no, there was no nothing or no one else God, God could offer to redeem mankind from his wretchedness. Of all the gifts God the Father could have given us, he gave us the best gift, Jesus. The text says God gave his one and only son, or as the King James Version says, his only begotten son. God loves us so much he gave us his unique son. There is no one like him. You might think Gandhi is a unique per- as a unique person. You might think Pope Francis and Nelson Mandela are unique persons. You might think Billy Graham, Dr. Martin Luther King as unique persons or even Mother Teresa. You might think your pastor, the ladies who are the backbone of this church are great and unique persons. You might think your mother, your father, or some relative you know might be very particular and unique. As special, as special, as unique, as gifted, and talented, and giving as these persons may have been or are. Not one of them compares to the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They cannot save us from the very presence of sin, the power of sin, or the penalty of sin. Jesus and Jesus only is a unique person. Jesus and Jesus only is a unique person. By unique we mean that Jesus was the only, was the un, was, was the only one of his kind. There was no one unique before him, during his earthly ministry or after him. By unique we mean Jesus the only one who can forgive sins. By unique we mean that Jesus has all the attributes and characteristics as God the Father. By unique we mean that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. By unique we mean that Jesus was killed and was placed in a borrowed tomb. But praise be to God, he rose that resurrection Sunday. And he's now at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. By unique, we mean that Jesus is equal in power. 
knowledge and essence as God the Father. By a Jesus, Christ is the express image of God the Father. God the Son is no less than God than God the Father. Jesus has all the divine powers as God the Father. Jesus is God. Jesus Christ is God. He is God incarnate. He is unique. God gave not of himself. He gave himself. God left heaven's splendor and glory and died for worthless sinners like us. The greatest gift anyone can give is to give himself. And God gave himself in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the absolute, absolutely unique person. Second reason, second reason why Jesus is the greatest gift is that God loved us. God loved us. It is amazing to know that God loved us, loved us to send his only son to die, on our be- on the, to die on our behalf. In the Greek language, there are four words that are used for love. The first one is the verb erao, which is a sensual or sexual or a, comp- or a passionate kind of love. It is, a, it is a kind of love that a married man has for his next door neighbor whom he wants to leave his wife and have an affair with. The word, the word eros comes from that word. The significant thing about erao is that it is never used in the New Testament. The second word that is often translated love is, some, is, some, is sometimes in the New Testament is, is the word sturgo. This, this, this verb speaks of family love or phileo love. It is a love of parents to children. The third verb is phileo. And that is an emotional love. When our Lord stood by the tomb of Lazarus and wept, the friend standing close said, Oh, how he loved him. That is phileo. It is a deep emotional feeling. The fourth verb is the word, is the, is the, is the verb, is the verb agapo. And it's a verb that is used here in John 3.16. The noun agape comes from this word. Agape is a very distinctive kind of love. When the lawyer said to the Lord, what is the greatest commandment of all? The Lord responded and said, you shall love the Lord, the Lord, the Lord thy God, thy God. Then he, then he said, the second commandment is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in these two sum, summed up all the law of God. Agape is the nature of true Christian love. Our first, our, what, what are some of the char- characteristics are distinctive of biblical agape love? First, agape is volitional or willful rather than emotional. The Lord commands us to have agape for someone. You cannot command someone to have a feeling for someone. One theologian said, to say that love is a feeling or anything of that kind is an unchristian concept of what true love is. C.H. Dodd said that agape is, pri- is not primarily an emotion or an affection. It is primarily an, an active determination of the will. Agape is when you decide you're going to love a person in spite of how I feel. That is what God did for us, folks. 
That's what God did for us. He sent His Son, not based on how He felt, or how we felt, but He agape us in spite of how we feel. If God were to treat us as we, are, as we treat Him, we would rot in hell. God made a willful decision to love us by sending His Son to die on our behalf. God agape us. He made a willful decision to love us and not an emotional one. The second thing about agape is that it is discerning. Agape is not agape love is not sentimental. Agape discerns between what is harmful and what is helpful for a person and sets his will on toward doing what which will help the person. It is, it is that discernment between things that are helpful and harmful. What am I saying? Agape seeks what will be the benefit of the other person. Agape is an attitude, not a feeling. Agape is uh, agape as, a, as, as, as an attitude of considering or seeking or caring for the well-being of others. God the Father agape us. He was discerning in that he realized our state of lostness. And in seeking our well-being, he sent his one and only son to die on Calvary's tree on our behalf. This, that is agape. That is agape. The third thing concerning agape is that it is indiscriminate. That is, it does not discriminate between persons who are worthy of it and those who are unworthy of it. Isn't that wonderful, folks? Isn't that wonderful? We, we are not worthy of it. God does not discriminate if we deserve it, His love or not. Actually, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. He did not say, Radley, you're tall, dark, and handsome, and so you shall receive eternal life. He did not say that. Or He did not say, <coughs> He did not say, you're skinny and ugly, and so you will not receive eternal life. None of us deserve it, but guess what? He loves us anyway. The Lord says to the husband, have agape for your wife. He says, he, he says to every Christian, have agape for your, for, your, for your neighbor. And then he says to every Christian, have agape for your enemies. Saints, agape is indiscriminate. It is indiscriminate. God loves us God loves us indiscriminately. It, 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 does not dis, it, 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 it does not discriminate whether the person <coughs> is worthy or unworthy of it. Guess what? We are all unworthy of God's love. Agape is an attitude that seeks the well-being of the other person, of the other person, whether the person deserves it or not. Folk, that is what God did for us. That is what God did for us. We did not deserve his undying love. But guess what? He loved us anyway. That is agape. That is the greatest gift of all. The fourth characteristic of agape is that it is unselfish. It is unselfish. Agape seeks the well-being of the other person without any concerning of receiving back anything in return. When God, when God loved us, we did not deserve it. We did not earn it. 
we could do nothing to gain is love. Here we are who are selfish receiving the love of the unselfish creator. Here is what God is saying. I will give, I will give you my love regardless of the worthiness or the unworthiness worthiness of the person to receive it expecting nothing back in return. That is agape. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. His selfless love allows us to gain access to the foot of the cross. Listen, believers, one theologian said, a love that is based on emotions is a, a love that is based on emotion is a selfish love. It is not agape. It is a self-love. It is, it is what I can receive, pr- receive from it. When we talk about, when we talk about love, it is, how, it is how it's going to be benefit me or please me. I scratch your back, so I'm expecting you to scratch my back. It is a love of preference and choice. And that standard and preference and choice are mine. Anything that is based solely on on, on, an emotion is a selfish love. Is a selfish love. That is not agape. Agape is volitional. is willful. It is indiscriminate. It is discerning. It is unselfish. It is unselfish. God the Father knew that the cross was going to take place. And that, his, and, and that his son would face a brutal, excruciating, and painful death. We, he, did not, he did not turn his back on us. He was selfless. Jesus, Jesus did not say, you know what? Heaven is comfortable. I don't have to worry about life. I have my three square meals a day and everything is fine. I'm sitting back in my chair and life is good. He did not say that. No, Christ saw how, saw how we were hopeless, helpless, and hapless. He saw we were self-centered, ego, self, self, self-absorbed, egocentric. That did not stop him from coming and die for our sins. That, <coughs> that is what John 3.16 is all about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God gave us his son. He was, he was not selfish. He was unselfish. And he died on Calvary's tree for our sins. That is what Christ did when, guess what? We were enemies of him. That's what Christ did. When we were enemies of the cross, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf. He did it volitionally, indiscriminately, discerningly and unselfishly. Jesus is the greatest gift because he loved us unconditionally. The third reason why Jesus is the greatest gift is that Jesus was a gift planned before time. Jesus was a gift planned before time. The tense of the verb gave indicates that God giving his son was not an afterthought. God the Father giving his son for sinners was planned before the creation of mankind. Isaiah the prophet spoke of the crucifixion centuries before it actually took place in Isaiah 53. In Acts 2 verse 23, Peter said, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death 
by nailing him <coughs> by nailing him to the cross. Acts chapter two, verse twenty-three. Peter said, "This, uh, sorry, Acts, Acts three, verse eighteen says, but this is how God fulfilled what He had foretold. All, all the prophets. All, this let me read this again. But this is how God fulfilled what He had foretold through all the prophets, saying that His Christ would suffer." Revelations, Revelation 13, verse 8 says that Jesus, who is, the, who is the Lamb of God, was slain before the foundation of the world. The death of, the death of Christ, listen folks, the death of Christ did not catch God by surprise. The death of Christ did not catch God by surprise. God was not, God was not, God the Father was not in his, in his easy board chair and say, what must I do with mankind next? When sin entered, entered the world through Adam and Eve, God was not asking, what must I do next? God was not in, God was not in a back room, wringing his hand, wringing his hand, wondering what, he, what, what was he going to do. God was not saying, you know, plan A did not work, so let me resort to plan B or plan C. He did not say that. He, he, was not ast- he was not astonished. He was not surprised. He was not dumbfounded. He was not flabbergasted. He was not speechless. He was not amazed or even dazed. God knew, that he, God knew mankind would sin. And so he determined before the creation of the world that he would send his one and only son to, to be our substitutionary sacrifice for a lost generation. That's what he did, folks. I don't know about you, but, but this should excite us. The fact that Jesus Christ, before time, before time, planned that we would have eternal life. We should be jumping for joy, knowing that Jesus Christ, God sent his Son, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, planned before time, knowing our state and our situation, that he would die for our sins. That he would die for our sins. This is why we're here today, folks. Christ died on our behalf. It was planned. God gave. It was planned before eternity passed. The fourth and final reason why Jesus is the greatest gift is that God's gift. God's gift is that mankind needed a savior. Mankind needed a savior. In order for the penalty of sin to be satisfied, a sacrifice had to be made. Blood had to be shed. Blood had to be shed. Jesus had to die in order for us to live. Ephesians 1, 7 says in him, we have redemption through his blood. Hebrews 9 verse 22 clearly states that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 1 John 4 verse 10. This is love. Not that, he loved, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. A sacrifice had to be made. Blood had to be shed. May I, may I give you a glimpse 
May I give you a glimpse of the sacrifice Christ suffered that first Easter? May I give you a glimpse? Jesus was in good physical condition before 9 p.m. Thursday, that first Easter. However, he was in great mental anguish due to the pending suffering he was about to face. Luke, the great physician in, said in Luke 22, verse 44, Jesus being in agony prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood. He suffered great emotional stress from the trials he went through. The sleepless night and the abandonment of his closest friends. Jesus was tried by Anas, then Caiaphas, then by the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, then by Pilate, then by Herod, and then back to Pilate. In less than 24 hours, Jesus was tried five to six times. Pilate could find no fault with Jesus and wanted to release him, but the people shouted, crucify him, <coughs> crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas, crucify him. After the trials and walking about two point. 2.5 miles, he was tired and worn out. Jesus was tried unlawfully and was sentenced to death. First, the Roman soldier stripped Jesus of his clothes and tied him to a pole. They used a, a, a short whip with several single or braided leather thongs of, of different lengths in which small iron balls or sharp piece of sheep bones were tied at intervals. Our Jesus, whom they stripped of his clothes and tied to an upright pole, his back, his buttocks, and his legs were flogged by one or two soldiers. The soldiers struck Jesus' back and buttocks and legs with all the force they could muster. The iron balls at the end of the whip would cause great contusion and bruises. The leather thongs and the, and, the, and the sheep bones could cut into his skin and sever the skin from the bone. As the, so, as the, soldier, as the soldiers flog, continued to, to flog my Jesus, as the, as the soldiers continued to flog your Jesus, the skin began to be lacerated. The skin was torn. His back was like a furrowed field. His back was like a jagged edge. Blood came gushing out and it is possible that his body went into shock just for you and me. Just for you and me. At this time, our Lord, our Savior was extremely weak and lost and had lost lost appreciable amounts of blood. What they, do, what they did next was heartless. Can I just, just close your eyes with me for a moment? Close your eyes with me and reflect on what they did next. They took, they, they took a crossbar which weighed about 75 to 125 pounds and, and they strapped 
Jesus' arms to the cross. This was the same cross that they, they later nailed him to. As he, was, as, he, as, he, as, he, as he used all his power and strength to get up with the crossbar bearing down on his battered back and shoulder. And as my Jesus, our Jesus was in agonizing pain, made one step and, and, and tried to, to make a, a second step, the weight of the cross, crossbar came pressing down on his back. It was bruised and savaged. His back was bruised and savaged. Jesus tried to make another step. But he stumbled and, and, and fell and the crossbar and the crossbar hit the ground and his entire body was in shock and severe pain. He cried out for help, help, help. The soldiers and the, and the people around him, he cried out to them for help and for help. But instead of they helping him, they, they turned his back on him and said, Shout, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas, crucify him. But instead, they spat on him. They mocked him and ridiculed him by placing a robe on his shoulder, a crown of thorn on his head, and a wooden staff as a scepter in his hand. The apostle shouted, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. They allow our Jesus to suffer, bled, and anguish in pain. That's the cross. That's what he went through, folks. That's what Jesus went through for us. You can open your eyes now. That's what he did for us. He suffered and bled and died so that we can have life eternal. He took Jesus to the cross. The crucifixion was one of the cruelest acts of, acts of execution. It was reserved for foreigners, revolutionaries, and the vilest of criminals. When Jesus got to the place where he was going to be crucified, the soldiers possible threw him on his back and kneeled him to the cross. Cross bar by, by using iron spikes. The nails were driven in his wrist. Around four soldiers lifted Jesus on the crossbar with possibly his legs hanging in the air and his wrist nailed to the crossbar he was suffering. Jesus was placed on a vertical strip of wood with the, crossbar that, with the crossbar and they nailed his feet to the cross. Jesus suffered and was in great pain. But instead of complaining, folk, instead of complaining, you know what he did? He showed mercy. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. What a gracious God. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Here we are sitting in his presence because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross for us. God has given us a wonderful gift in the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning 
and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, allow me to give you the opportunity to put your faith and confidence and trust in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, but you did not fully grasp the pain and the suffering your Savior went through for your sins, you're not living a life which is pleasing to Him, please feel free to confess your sins to Him. Jesus is the greatest and the best gift you will ever have. Jesus is the greatest and the best gift you will ever have. Jesus was the best God had to offer. God loved us so much, volitionally, willfully, discerningly, indiscriminately, unselfishly. So, so much. He sent his son to die for us. Jesus was a gift planned before time. God thought, God thought of us long before we thought of ourselves. It was in his, all in his plan. Mankind needed a savior. Jesus suffered the brutality of the cross. The pain, the anguish. He went through it in order for us to have life eternal. You should be excited, folks. You should be excited that knowing that one day faith shall give way to sight and we shall see him as he is. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful, Lord, for your Son, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the best and the greatest gift we will ever have. Thank you, Lord, for John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And Father, if someone here this morning was never, was never trust Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, Father, we pray that they will put their faith in him. Trust in John 3.16, knowing that you will save them. Prick their very hearts. Prick their conscience. Prick them. Have them, have them to have no peace, no rest. Arrest their souls. And let them cry out and come to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And for us who are believers, Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that because of John 3.16, we will draw closer to the cross. We will draw closer to you and have a better relationship with you. We thank you for what you're going to do. You're worthy in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.